TBCC episode 45, my realization of the day. So we're talking about wrong turn and cabin fever today and not going to lie, for the longest time, I got these two mixed up all the time. I thought they were the same movie. They came out around the same time. We got horny people in a cabin. We got carnage. But that is where the power of subgenre comes in because, yeah, these have like a lot of surface level similarities and maybe share like the same DNA, but they are completely different just in making some little differences. Kind of like fraternal twins. Maybe? I don't know. Let's get into it more as we start the show. Hello, hello, it is your boy Devon Taylor, aka underscore Daddy Disco, and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is a horror podcast where we dive into our favorite horror movies and analyze the subgenres within, and I do it all while I'm pretty damn stoned and I'm feeling pretty toasty today because it is the start of a new month. New month means a new theme. And um, I'm very excited because March, that is when the seasons are changing. We're going into spring. Things are getting nicer outside. So I figured it would be a great time to venture off into the great outdoors because in March, we are surviving nature. We are talking movies with killer plants. We got crazy sharks. We got mutants in the woods and much, much more coming in the next few weeks with some fantastic guests. Speaking of guests, one of our guests today is lurking in the trees right now. He's been a great internet buddy over the years who hosts his own podcast, See You Next Summer, as also a St. Louis native. So welcome to the show, Mr. Billy Pollahan. Yeah, what's up, guys? Super excited to be here. Yeah. I've known Devon for a while, so this, this is, I'm just so stoked. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, I love, you know, the the internet relationships I've maintained over the years and yeah we've uh, definitely been uh, friends for quite some time like I mean I think it was like we just like find each other through like the screen junkies and stuff and then kind of went from there and uh, and we actually got to meet before this is one of the internet friends I've actually got to meet and hang out with in person um, when was that when we did that con uh, uh, I think it was 2017. Yeah, dang. So it's been a couple of years. That was 2017, man. Yeah, that was a while ago. But um, but yeah, it's always uh great whenever I get to meet them. So and now we get to have a nice little virtual reunion because that's how we socialize these days now. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I am yeah super happy to finally get you on the show uh, to kick off this new theme. Uh, but before we get into that, we got to introduce you guys, um, you know, introduce you to the audience so they get a little idea about you. And I know, um, you know, you haven't always been a horror person. You, your, your horror appreciation has kind of been more growing over the past few years. So tell us about that. Yeah, so my basic knowledge of horror was um, Jaws. And the earliest, like, horror memory I can remember is... Um, going to a lake house with my dad and brother and a couple of friends of ours, we would watch Jaws late at night. And what my dad would do was just say, Hey, go down to the docks. Cause this was in the Lake of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. He would say, go down the docks, put your, put your feet in the water. 
give you a hundred bucks. Nobody did it. <laughs> and <laughs> I was, I was a wuss. I'm, I'm still kind of a wuss, but I have grown as, or as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate horror movies more, not just for the genre itself, but just how they're made, how they're shot, how everybody loves it and finds something in certain movies that connects them or they connect with. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's been really cool. And I've listened to this podcast before and the the knowledge that you guys have is pretty good. Like the guests you bring on, they know their shit. Oh and, yeah. Um, I mean, whenever, I, whenever I'm stoned, I definitely like have to make sure the guests are on point because if they're not on point <laughs> and if I'm not on the right page, who knows where the podcast is going to go. But yeah, they, they definitely uh, bring their shit. And it's, it's this podcast and uh, the channel dead meat with the uh, James and Chelsea. They've been very helpful in educating me on the genre and key movies, certain subgenres, like the one we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, surviving in the woods. And yeah. it's been quite an education. It's I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice to like kind of, you know, have stuff to be able to binge, you know, and and dead meat is so great. Like what I love is like how over time, like the kill counts, you start adding in like more behind the scenes stuff. I love how you mentioned, you know, the there's always great stories behind how horror movies get made. I mean, there's, you know, movies, the the fact that they get made at all in general is like, you know, magic within itself. But yeah, there always is like tends to be like, you know, people have a lot more fun when they're doing horror movies. I mean, how can you not when you're covered in fake blood or you're you know, you get to get a mold made of you that's going to get its head chopped off or something like there's so many like little like cool tidbits that like go into making horror movies that, yeah, just like kind of make it, you know, more fun in general. And like I know um, like I saw like some bts from cabin fever and like a lot of the people like seem to have had a blast making that movie yeah so there's there's always like really great like stuff that goes into it within you know besides just the movie itself you know it kind of gives you like a little bit of that extra appreciation for it um so what's something uh throw out a random horror movie you've been uh, watching recently that kind of stood out to you uh recently because i i have a shutter account the host has been really good. It was made during the pandemic. Um, one of the best jump scares of recent memory, and I'm not a fan of jump scares. Oh, yeah. Um, typically, if they if they utilize it well, like in Host or in something like Alien, it, it's a rare occurrence, but man, is it good. But Host is literally just a Zoom call with all these people, and they're they're just trying to survive. And I really, really liked it. Yeah, like you yeah, gotta love the you gotta love the simplicity. I mean, the 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 fans of the the podcast know about host. I think that's probably been the movie that's been like referenced the most um, by guests since I've started the podcast. Because yeah, of course, like it is just like super cool that like they and they made it like right at the beginning of the pandemic too. Like so, it was like that was like at the time where it was like you know so much chaos. There's so much uncertainty. People didn't know, you know how long it was going to be before film sets started to happen again and people started making movies like regularly people didn't know so it was like you know super smart of them to be like okay let's take this zoom platform that everybody's using right now and uh let's make something out of it to where we don't have to like come in contact um all the little bts behind how host was made is like super cool as well like for sure 
Um, as far as um, something I've watched recently, I always, for these like picks, I always try to like pick movies that are like in the theme that just didn't make the cut to make it like into the month. Um, so I was thinking more back, um, we've talked about it a smidge on the pod, but I did revisit um, The Lodge recently and um, really like thinking about how much like the environment plays into that movie. Um, you know, cause everything, the catalyst of the whole movie is getting, you know, stuck in this cabin out in the snowstorm. Um, which obviously like, you know, the, the events are terrible, like, cause like, you know, power's going out, they're cold, like, you know, they don't have any communication, stuff like that. And then of course, then they start kind of getting the cabin fever, you know, like they start like, you know, getting suspicious. They start saying a bunch of wild shit. Won't spoil the ending for you, of course. Uh, go check out The Lodge if you guys haven't watched it yet. I think it's still on Hulu. But it's it's interesting, like, when you think about how the, like, nature events, you know, affect the characters, even, like, indirectly. Like, even though, like, even, like, not somebody getting, like, snow plowed on them or something, but, like, the fact of, like, the weather containing them in the house, which leads, you know, their personalities to, like, kind of you know, change and, you know, act in certain ways. So it's like, I like the indirect, um, effects of like nature in horror movies in addition to like them dealing with, you know, what's actually at stake. So we'll kind of get into that here a little bit more as we go ahead and jump into our movies for the episode. Wrong Turn, released in 2003, directed by Rob Schmidt. Um, You can't have a more plain name than that because that's exactly the movie you kind of get. Wrong Turn is a very bare bones uh, movie. Like, it's like, and these movies were very, like, particularly, like, came up a lot in the early 2000s. These, like, you know, it's just a premise. It's some teens, they're the or not some teens that's cabin fever these are adults but you know kind of who knows so you got some adults in wrong turn that they are lost in the woods by different events and um they are stalked by some inbred mutant mountain men and that's it there's no themes to this movie there's no um like in-depth character study there's not glamorous shots it's just that's the movie, you know, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I will say this is like one of the more solid ones um, in, in that regards of just like kind of being simple. There's not a lot of style going to it. And like, I think that's interesting that like when I think about early 2000s movies, it's hard for me to like pinpoint the director of a lot of those movies because a lot of them didn't have like directors, you know, like, you know, putting their signature stamps on it. I don't know if it was because horror was just kind of a money game in the early 2000s versus, you know, now it's like, especially with indie horror, we have these directors, you know, putting their personality all over the film. But back, but back in 2003, not exactly the case here. Um, this was actually my first time watching both movies today. Um, we are talking the original Wrong Turn, the original Cabin Fever. We're not talking the remakes. We're not talking the sequels either. I was kind of I was back and forth on on it. I almost denied Wrong Turn because I was like, maybe I'll do the whole franchise. But it just doesn't really interest me to really cover them all. 
Um, but we'll get more into like the franchise stuff here in a minute. So Billy, what made you want to talk about wrong turn today? Well, you said it before. Um, it's very bare bones and simple and that's a lot of what I look for in horror. That's just my personal taste and also horror comedy. And this, um, movie, well, it's actually, it's not a straight up horror comedy, but it has some more, it's more light Mm -hmm. hearted, you know, and, also, it's got some pretty awesome kills. Yes, um, it does have I, that. I wanted, I wanted that. I thought, okay, what's the stereotypical horror movie? It's in the woods. It's a bunch of teenagers slash adults, and something goes awry. It's it is as stereotypical as you can possibly get. But that said, I had a lot of fun, and yeah, if you have faith in the cast, then or in your cast, you can have a good movie. Yeah, and it it's not it's not the worst. It's not the best either. And like you said, the wrong turn sequels, they're garbage. OK, so I was I was wondering where your stance is on that, because like, yeah, yeah it's no, it's kind of it's no. kind of odd to me that it it spawned such a large franchise because like you watch the movie and you're like, what more else do you want out of this? You know, and like how many times can you just have mountain men killing people in the woods and like make it interesting still? And it's not like the mutants have like super distinct personalities either. Like Three Fingers is like kind of crazy and he like gets more of a personality through the franchise. At least um, from what I know, uh, like I did watch all the uh, wrong turn kill counts. So, I mean, I kind of know what's <laughs> going on. But like that just like made me beg the question of like, how did they make so many movies? Why did they like keep making them? Like, because I know they do have a like a, a little cult fan base, a little bit of people that you know really enjoy these movies, um, you know, but not for the quality exactly. And it didn't even make like a a crap ton of money at the box office. Like, it doubled its budget and then like made like an extra like seven mil on top. So it's like it wasn't like some like smash hit at the box office either. So I don't know. I w- I didn't check, but I bet it was. I bet it did really strong on DVD sales because this was around when like DVD was like getting popular, and I bet it did really good on home release. And maybe that's why they started making other ones. Uh, how many of the other ones have you seen? Um, I've seen up to five. Okay, I so did not watch the last one. Five was. I was just. I was done. <laughs> And like you said, I also watched the kill counts just because I wanted to know about behind the scenes, but I didn't want to buy the movie in order to get those. Mm, yeah, and, exactly. And uh, no. Yeah, no. I, um, I, I kind of want to watch the one that Joe Lynch directed because um, I do. I, I enjoy Joe Lynch as a director, so I kind of want to watch that one. And I know the second one has um, fucking uh, what's the, the real serious guy? I don't know, but it, it has that. The fifth one has uh, Doug Bradley. The fifth one does terrible have terrible Southern accent. Yeah, terrible Southern accent. Oh, we 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 hate to see our stars fall <laughs> uh, into the into wrong turn five. But yeah, so so I I decided against uh, talking the whole franchise just because yeah I didn't think it was gonna be all that interesting trying to tackle all of them. Um, but you know this one is it's like you know it's again it's like fairly praised it, people don't hate it but people don't love it either it's just like this is a good just like 
I don't know. This is a, if you're hanging in a cabin in the woods with your friends drinking, this would be a good movie to turn on, you know? Like, it's like kind of just like a, an, a nice, easy, breezy, just like kind of hangout watch. But you do get some good kills, though, too. So it's not like it's not itching your the horror scratch for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Emmanuel Shiriki's kill is the best when she is um, halfway decapitated. In the trees, with yeah. With the act axe and how they did that was really cool I, like- I think they hollowed out a tree and she put her face in it and then they cg'd the rest of it and it's not bad cg no the backgrounds um they could have been worse because there there's the one scene there's one scene the one where they're climbing up the ladder the watchtower yeah the, or yeah up to the watchtower that one but yeah besides that though yeah the the times they use cgi is pretty good um that's a great kill i love I love kills where people get something through their mouth and like face split open. It's always very oh, yeah, satisfying. And, and, and the other girl who yeah. gets uh, garroted with the barbed wire. Yeah, it gets like That's get, brutal. Yeah, barbed wire gagged, and then he like picks her up like two feet off the ground too. So it's like just like that little extra added brutality to it. Like all the kills are really good. Um, for sure. Um, the effects uh, were done by Stan Winston's studio, who Stan Winston, a legendary special effects artist. Um, he didn't actually do special effects on this, but it was his studio. And of course, any disciples of Stan Winston, um, I definitely have faith in. But he also did produce this film as well, which you can you know, definitely tell that he might have made a few notes here and there. It kind of has um, like the, the look to the mutants kind of have like that same like texture that a uh, pumpkin head has um if you've seen pumpkin head uh, i love pumpkin head oh that one's gonna pumpkin head's gonna be in the hall in october sometime because yeah i i, I there I, is no other time for it i forgot to i forgot to include it in the halloween extravaganza this year but yeah pumpkin head actually like the second one too we might talk both of them at some point um but yeah so it definitely kind of has that texture so you see stan winston's influence on it and then um, it's got um, a few, like, you know, these were actors that at the time were just like, you know, they're, they were like all kind of B-list-ish, but they all were recognizable. Um, you have a young Desmond Harrington, love him in The Neon Demon. He's like one of my favorite aspects of that movie. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you have Eliza Dushku, who was in all sorts of things in the early 2000s, primarily TV uh, we got Jeremy Sisto. Um, he was just mentioned on the podcast a, a few weeks ago when we were talking May. Suburgatory. Yeah, we were, we were talking May with uh, Jeremy Sisto. Uh, he is not nearly as hot in this movie, even though they were only filmed like a year apart. But I think Adam was just like a hotter character for him. Um, but Jeremy Sisto, he's great in it. Um, uh, Desmond Harrington as our as our lead is uh, kind of fascinating um, that I want to talk about. Um, is his acting in it great? No. Is his is his character very deep? No. Do we know a lot of things about him? No. But is he a is he a badass? Oh, you bet he is. Like our boy um, Chris Flynn, which I kept typing his name as Ryan in my notes for so long so many times because he is just like another like kind of plain white guy. So I just like kept typing Ryan and I go, oh, his name's Chris. Uh, wouldn't have known the difference. Who cares? But he's actually a really good lead in this. Like he takes a beating throughout the film and then also like dishes some beatings out, makes some really smart moves. Like 
um he he was one of the standouts to me in the film um what's uh, uh one of the stronger aspects for you i like how none of the cast is they're not stereotypically stupid you know yeah. i mean you got the mm-hmm. horny teens you got um well the horny engaged couple and then you have your final girl which is eliza dushku who i loved on buffy and um we all did th- well that that's that's horror-esque oh and, yeah oh yeah um i i like how everybody thinks logically like they're um like when um chris gets shot in the leg which mm-hmm. that's that's usually that never happens to like a lead where they get like seriously injured no he immediately makes a tourniquet and he is the one he's just like you know i'll distract them but then the other guy uh jeremy sisto he he distracts the hillbillies and he gets boromired in this movie you know it was like it was funny when he was like running through the woods like doing his distraction they're looping back with the truck the way they kept cutting back i thought he was just gonna run into a road and they were gonna run him over i thought that i was expecting been... <laughs> him to um like trip over the barbed wire or something like how brutal would that have been i also i wrote in my notes i go he's running real tall i bet he gets clotheslined by something and that's what i also thought was gonna happen L- to like him. in your next yeah, like I was like, he's running like super straight up right now. I was like, I think he might he might get uh, necked out here. But um, homie takes three arrows like a champ to the back. Um, one of the more uh, tame kills of the movie, but also like still like impactful, though. Just like the way it was shot, like takes one. He's still walking and they takes two and they just like leans up against a tree. So they just think he's like tired or something, you know? um uh really really well but i i do like uh i did want to touch on how you said um they they're not prototypically stupid like i actually wrote in the notes i was like they actually make pretty much all the correct decisions like that they should like you know after after uh scott dies and then like you know his fiance is crying like can we go back can we go back like you know some stupid people might have been like you know what maybe he is alive and they would turn back around or you know, something like, or like that. When they're when they're in the watchtower, and um, I mean Emmanuel Shrecky's character, um, uh, Carly, mm-hmm. who was she, she breaks open the window and they're like, "What are you doing?" And then she's like, "I'd rather jump in the trees than burn to death." And then they put two and two <laughs> together. Uh, Chris is just like, "You know what? I think she's right." And then they do it, and then they jump out of the trees. And then when Eliza Dushku like hits the branch she hits her side really hard and mm-hmm. i was just like ooh, yeah I, that's it's gotta hurt i love that scene um i've mentioned on the podcast before i'm a sucker for when people eat themselves out of a window for any purpose i didn't shout it out on last week's episode but thirst has a really good jump out a window scene um it forgot to mention that on the episode but uh but yeah i love this one chris has great form when he does it he like does like a full-on like sprawl when he like he like did it like flying squirrel style and i was like nice form but like yeah like i love the uh the thinking of being like yeah like we'll jump the branches will kind of catch our fall and then that also like leads into a nice little like action beat after that where we have this like chase through the trees and we have, you know, them trying to uh, fight off Three Finger because he's like, you know, cr- climbs up like a spider monkey. And then they're like kind of weaving in and out and like chasing each other through the trees. I thought that was actually like an interesting. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty creative. 
So it's like this movie has some very great like creative ideas here and there, but it's just like I don't know they they did kind of a lot of other things just like kind of to the bare minimum. And I say that in the production, like, I mean, it has great production value as far as like the effects and stuff. But again, it's just like, you know, it doesn't have like a very interesting look. There's not like very interesting camera angles or anything. There's not, you know, there's not like any cool camera movements that like kind of add any dimension. Everything's just like kind of presented plainly. And I wish it kind of had a little more style to like match up with like some of the creative ideas it had with the kills. Yeah, I agree with you. It's shot very competently, but not uniquely. It's not like uh, evil dead where Sam Raimi's cameras, all his crazy camera tricks sort of make it stand out. It, it works. And if you want a nice, easy breezy, uh, typical horror movie, this is, this is the one for you. Oh and Yeah. And, and while you and while you mentioned Sam Raimi, because he's going to come up a bunch when we talk Cabin Fever, but uh, of course you have, you know, some Evil Dead uh, influences here, you know, with some of just like the typical, um, you know, Cabin in the Woods things. Um, so it's like th- there's a little, but like there's a lot of Raimi inspiration in Cabin Fever. There's a little bit here, too, because, I mean, I think it's one, it's like one of those things where it's like, um, everybody always come like when there's a sci-fi movie, sci-fi horror movie, especially like with an alien or monster or something, everybody is so quick to like point something out and go, that's an alien ripoff, you know? And it's like, well, duh, because it's like a seminal piece and it's from 1979. Of course, like any movie is going to give you like that vibe, but just cause alien is just like so heavily associated with sci-fi horror and I think it's, like, pretty much the same way with, like, any movie that has a cabin in the woods. Everybody's going to, like, immediately compare it to Evil Dead in some way. Yeah, but I also just like um, a lot of the wide shots, because this takes place in West Virginia. But I believe they shot it in Canada, I think. But wherever it, um, it was, it, it looked really nice and... Uh, the production looks much better than most horror movies. Yes. Like, again, like, very competent. And, um, and you know, we are talking surviving nature and stuff. And uh, I will say they definitely utilized the woods very well. Like, uh, between, you know, having the, the random townie at the gas station, um, he was really funny. I love that he's just sipping Pepto-Bismol when they, like, pull up to him. Um but what I what I will say is like a lot of movies in the woods like have that habit of doing that thing where people are running through the trees and it's like super shifty and it's like hard to follow, you know, and I hate that in movies in the woods. Like I think that's like the biggest like thing. Like if if you're going to have a movie in the woods, you have to have a plan on being able to like shoot it clearly. And maybe that's what they were prioritizing over style. They're just like, let's just make sure everybody can see what's happening and in that regard, I respect it. I'll, I'll, I'll give them a hand on that one. I, I think that a novice of horror like myself, or not really novice, but just a newbie, can really appreciate just... It's a little bit of wasted potential, like you said. Like, they could have gone the extra mile, but it's... Again, I, I sound like a broken record, but I, I really do have a lot of fun with this. Oh, um, yeah. You like the characters for the most part. You do root for them. Mm-hmm. primarily our leads and yeah if you yeah. if you want to if you want a taste of the 2000s like some cd players 
and oh i love that that's how the soundtrack i love that that's how the catalyst of the movie is like that is so 2000s he makes a wrong turn because he's trying to clean a cd off that's skipping that is the most 2000s way to put yourself into a horror movie i've ever heard of but uh but yeah no i'm i'm totally there with you it's like it it it's a fun watch um it, i just i guess I, the only reason i was expecting a little bit more is just because it has a franchise it has these fans so i was like okay like there's got to be like something special about this one and it's like kind of the opposite there's nothing special about it but at the same time like it's it makes it feel comfortable and this would be a like good one to show someone that maybe isn't into uh horror nearly as much you know they can you know it's the the gore isn't too grisly but it's enough to where you know you can get some reactions out of people there's some tense scenes in there and uh definitely enough to have some fun with yeah another thing about this i don't know if we're recording again. oh yeah no i'm still recording go ahead okay um another thing about this movie is that does the mutant cannibal people pretty well because the only other movie that i can think of that's horror related that does this is the hills have eyes and that's that's done much better in that movie i would say there's there's a lot to critique yeah and and that's that's kind of why i opted against picking uh the hills have eyes to go with this one because i almost did but then I was like, ah, I think they're a little too similar. And then the Hills Eye of Eyes is like ups it on like every level, you know. So it's like I uh, didn't want to put them together. But I do especially like um, Alexander Aja's version of the Hills Have Eyes um, was almost made the cut. Almost did. Um, but yeah, like um, I, I, I appreciate this movie for what it is. I definitely will probably rewatch it at some point for sure. Um, just enough for the, just for the kills alone. And, um, but I, I, I do just have like, like some appreciation for Chris. Cause I was like, this isn't a, a, a leading man that people usually talk about, you know? And like, I like uh, um, a lead guy that like really like goes through it, you know, like he's and they, and they also, I I'm, glad that they like had hints at like romantic tension um between um him and um jesse but also didn't like you know go super hard into it they didn't spend a lot of time on it because it's not needed they just like kind of did it to alleviate a few moments here and there so i like that he wasn't motivated by you know her like i mean i'm yeah he wants her to survive and he's like trying to help her and all the friends but like he's not motivated by her which I appreciate. Um, I wish they would have, because they hint that, like, I guess he was trying to be a doctor or something, or maybe he was a doctor, or maybe studied, who knows, um, something in there. But, like, I wish they would have, maybe, like, they could have just made him, like, a army medic or something, which kind of would have gave him a little bit more to chew on, but then also would have just, like, made sense, like, why he was, like, so inept at everything and, like, Cause he's so cool and calm and collected, which at first I thought was hilarious. Cause um, when he uh, they fi- first find the mutants house and he opens the fridge and there's all the nasty shit in jars, he doesn't even react to it at all. He just looks at it and they opens the Tupperware that has a brain in it and he just goes, "Uh oh," 
just like that. Like, no nothing. Like, he is just, like, cool as a cucumber the entire movie. Uh, which, like, at first I was like, okay, this is kind of weird that he, like, doesn't react to, like, anything. But I just like how he's just, like, he's, like, he went into survival mode. Like, he kind of dropped what little charisma he had at the beginning of the movie. And then he just, like, goes straight into survival mode. So, gotta give a shout out to Chris in this one. Yeah, and I also think that him being, like, a doctor or medical student would make sense. Because they have to be calm under pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. they can't afford to freak out or anything like that. And he's, he would be used to um, dealing with body parts and he would not be very squeamish. So I like, I like that they mentioned that he's, he, he's doing something in the medical field. It makes sense why he would do that. Mm-hmm. But again, at this, it's hilarious because he's calm about everything. Like, you would think that he would react a little bit. He sort of does when he gets shot. He's because, yeah, when you get shot, you're going to react yeah. like, yeah, like I, I, but besides that, yeah, we don't see like hardly any moments of pain or anything. Um, and I also have to shout out, um, you know, the, the final showdown at the end, he uh, goes to rescue Jesse, who is of course, conveniently not killed in the woods like all the other victims are, but you know, little plot hole, whatever. I guess they just decide to bring her back alive. He goes to save Jesse, uh, rams the car through the house, and he starts setting it on fire. Like, he just comes in a blazing. He's throwing Molotov cocktails. And then he goes back into the car and, like, just, like, grabs, like, that crowbar and just starts fucking up that big one. Like, just no fear. He didn't even hesitate. He just, he's like, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with this mutant giant. And he has he's on a bum leg and a bum arm because he, like, hurt his arm, like, when they dope through the trees or whatever. And he was just like, no fear. He says, is like, he just went in and grabbed that crowbar and he's like, I'm like, we are making it out of here, you motherfuckers. And, um, uh, I respect it. And I like how they like kind of, and they tag teamed him too, you know, like once she was free, she shoots one of them in the back of the head. Um, and like while she's still like half tied up and then they like kind of have to, um, you know, tag team, tag team it. And I like the way that that worked out. You know, she didn't feel like she wasn't like a damsel that like, you know, obviously she needed to be rescued, but she wasn't like a damsel in distress though, either. Like she's a solid final girl. Like I, I, they didn't, you know, really put as much attention onto her being the final girl. Cause like he kind of was more just the lead through and through. Um, but, uh, they made a good combo though of leads. Yeah. And they blew up a, uh, a car that was full of gas and that was pretty cool to explode the building. Well, I, I he, like- he first throws Molotov cocktails in there, mm-hmm. and then one of them catches um, Sawtooth, I believe, uh, yeah. on fire. And he's still going. <laughs> and he just shoves a wrench in his fucking chest. Right? Like like, like, like a pretty big wrench. He just shoves it in his chest. And then, like, Three Finger, who's alive because they knocked him out of a tree... They just bury an axe in his chest and they ran over one eye with a car and they're all still alive. And I love he just just like, uh, yeah, that's like fuckers die. Yeah, literally. Like, they can't he die. He's a pretty deadpan, but yeah, he just like die fuckers. Yeah, he just goes, why won't you he's guys like, I got die. one shot. <laughs> yeah, he's got one shot from a shotgun, shoots the gas and it explodes. And then they take the pickup truck that was there and. I, I like that they go back to the kitchen just to take the map away. Yeah. Just so people don't make the 
wrong turn. And yeah. Then it's uh, it's just a nod, and then they go off. Yeah. That's it. And, and and it's like it's again it's like they they end it so firmly and just like kind of whatever but then of course there's mid credits that uh one eye survived just somehow so it's like how did they survive how are they gonna do all these sequels i know they like do a prequel at one point like backtrack a bit and then maybe go on after that i don't know but um but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just, you know, the movie, <laughs> the movie, it starts and then it ends. That's exactly what I was about to say. And then I was like, oh wait, that's all movies. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And, oh, and I had a uh, last note of wrong turn. The most 2003 thing, it ends with a song by Breaking Benjamin. <laughs> I had to, I had to Shazam it real quick. I was like, I was like, which, which 2000s band was this again? Cause like this was the 2000 genre of rock I wasn't into. I was in like the the pop punk rock and stuff at that time, but not not the classic 2000s rock. Like that's just this is just rock music. Uh, any final thoughts on wrong on wrong turn before we finish up? Um, I just think it's it's a pretty middle of the road horror movie. You can't make a wrong turn if you if you choose to watch this and. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I I like those simple horror movies and I give think, it a watch. Decide for yourself. I think I think that noise is like the perfect epitome of this movie. Eh, you know, like it's that's that's exactly this movie. And middle of the road, I see what you're doing there. Cabin Fever, also released in 2003 or 2002. I don't know. I saw a couple different years for it. Directed by Eli Roth. Um, uh, this was his directorial debut. He wrote it alongside Randy Perlstein. Um, and yeah, this was Eli Roth bursting onto the scene. Eli Roth is a pretty prominent director in the horror circuit. Um, he's a director who I've only seen a handful of his movies, surprisingly. I need to kind of rework through his other ones because I enjoy his style. I know um, he is a controversial person of sorts. Um, he, he's never, like, you know, I mean, he's had a lot of things said about him and stuff, um, but there hasn't been, like, too much, like, confirming things out there as far as I know so we're not going to get into that so if you're just not an Eli Roth fan you can tune out because I'm not really going to talk about like any of that other stuff because I don't really know much about it all I know is uh, Eli Roth is a horror director with a very distinct style uh, distinct voice Um, he's kind of very Tarantino-esque ish in uh, the way that he um, very blatantly uses his influences, but I think he uses them in creative ways, at least uh, in the films I've seen. I've only seen this, uh, Green Inferno, and Knock Knock. We will be talking Knock Knock at some point, because that movie fucking rules. But yeah, this was um, his first foray, and I really like this movie. Um, It was better than I thought. This, again, was a first-time watch, um, because... I just, since I couldn't tell Cabin Fever and Wrong Turn Apart, I just never watched either one. Uh, I think that's what ended up happening here. But this is a movie. We have five horny teens. They are taking a break from college or they just finished out the year or something. I don't know. Um, There's uh, a couple, a potential couple, and a fifth wheel doofus. And uh, they go out into a cabin in the woods 
and um, they start suffering a skin-eating disease uh, due to some contaminated water. Um, and again, not there's not a lot going on here as far as like story stuff goes, but there is quite a bit of style to chew on throughout this movie. Um, so had you seen Cabin Fever before this episode, Billy? I have. I have. I only did it because one of the first conventions I went to had Marcy from this movie. Oh, okay. And I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, this was when I was starting to get into horror and I had heard Eli Roth's name before. I heard he was nuts, like as a, as a director. And then I, I was just really curious. Everybody talked about cabin fever. They either love it or hate it. And that always intrigued me. So I watched it and I have some mixed things about it. I love a lot of it, but there are some stuff like the pancakes scene and um, what? you don't like thing- the pancake scene. I love that. No, uh, it's, it's iconic, <laughs> but then there's also stuff like um, just blatant racism just comes out of nowhere in the beginning of the movie. And I was just like, whoa, what, the, what is this? Yeah, but there's... I, it's, it's it's manic energy and it's crazy and the special effects really, really shine in this movie. It looks like gross, and I think it's because of uh, Nicotero. Yeah, yep, Greg Nicotero, um, another special effects, um, big time special effects icon, um, most prominently known for doing being the supervisor for The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, this movie, it's gross. Um, manic was a great word to describe it because I like how it, there's a, uh, it, it ratchets up as the movie goes. Like it starts off in a, like somewhat, you know, it starts off grounded and like by the end of the movie, it's like this like zany hysteria almost. And like, that's when like the, the Sam Raimi influences really start shining in the second half of the movie. But there is like a really nice build to it on the way that, you know, again, playing on this idea of cabin fever when, you know, when you're isolated with people and they just like kind of start going crazy. And then that definitely happens. I like how we get obviously the physical manifestation of that, you know, the cabin fever as far as the disease goes. But then we also still have like the, you know, traditional representation of like, you know, going crazy, having cabin fever. So um, I very much enjoyed that. Um the yeah so the comedy is definitely a controversial topic here i suppose or would be like if people if like people started like you know rewatch like i want the zoomers to watch this movie and then see how many like videos of people getting offended and triggered get posted onto youtube like kind of like how people do when they like watch scott pilgrim now and everybody's like scott pilgrim's problematic and it's like no no you guys just don't get it um but i think the i think the comedy is actually written fair like pretty well like there's some very weird lines but then like kind of once you get used to it um i even i made a note about that scene so yeah earlier so if you haven't seen cabin fever which i mean it's been out for a long time you should see it anyways um not the remake um even though i am kind of intrigued to watch the remake just because they use the exact same script and and that's fucking weird so i don't know why they did it but they did it anyways and and um 
Cabin Fever 2 is directed by Ty West, who I really like Ty West. Um, he's a great director. Um, House of the Devil, um, fantastic movie. So I'm kind of intrigued to actually watch the other Cabin Fever um, movies. But yeah, so if it, but if you put this under a microscope, obviously um, it wouldn't sit well with certain people, you know, in the quote unquote PC culture, I suppose. But I think like, cause my whole thing with comedy is like, if you make it funny, you can make jokes about anything. And I don't think it's like, and that's what the, like, you know, the weird racist stuff, the, the weird, uh, gay jokes and stuff. They're not mean, like they're there to be funny. Like they're there to be jokes. Like they're not trying to be mean or trying to like attack people or insult people. It's literally just there to be funny. At least that's the way that I see it. So, um, you know, we might differ a little bit there and like kind of how we saw the comedy, like, you know, especially even that scene. Yeah. But it was also, it was also made in 2002. So the mindset of people back then was much different than people today. So I understand that. It, oh yeah. It's just, it, there's a lot of weird dialogue. Oh like, yeah. Um, when that, uh, Bert, he's talking about, um, uh, masturbating and his dog licking his balls where like, what did the that fuck? come from <laughs> it, it it literally came from nowhere yeah because we didn't get like there wasn't to hear even a segue question. into it yeah there wasn't like yeah what question spurred this or anything nothing we just like literally like that's like kind of like what starts that scene which is like super it's funny. like the happening when um he's just like you know hot dogs get a bad rap yeah out of nowhere but it's unintentionally hilarious Oh, yeah, that, like, yeah, talking about his dog licking his balls, and then he, as he came, he started licking his asshole, I was like, wait, what, what is going on here, um, uh, Bert is, like, you know, obviously he's the, like, extra comedy relief, even though this movie's pretty funny in general, but, um, he has another, he has a just phenomenal line delivery, um, as they're leaving the, like, little Mart whenever um the guy comes out and he goes he goes boy give me one good reason you'd steal a snickers bar and then he just so genuinely goes the nougat and i like died it was like so well delivered and so random i don't care if it's product placement if snickers sponsored this movie fuck yeah good job snickers but because it was well worth it if that is like product placement Otherwise, it is just, like, a really hilarious, like, such a weird, random joke. I thought it was, like, so funny. Yeah, and also what's weird and random is Eli Roth's uh, style. Like, he has a dog named Dr. Mambo, which is great name. And uh, Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great The girl is just name. like, what is he, like, a doc? Is he, like, a physician, physician or something? And I'm like, it's a fucking dog lady. What are you talking about? And he has this weird soul patch, and he, he just is just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I guess I'll smoke all this weed by myself. <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're you're good. His his ask to join them, he goes, he goes, hey, that's a real positive fire. You got room for one more, which sounds like shit that somebody would say today. That's what makes it even funnier. Like, um, I, I do want to um, talk about, yeah, Eli Roth's cameo in this as um, as Grimm, um, a skateboarder. He has his dog, Dr. Mambo. Um, back to back cameos because he, Eli Roth is also 
the bald head during the bowling scene um, scary story, which I also like that he actually had cutaways for that. Um, for some reason, I thought that was uh, a nice little choice to like kind of throw some extra shit in there and like being like, hey, look, I, I, I do some stylish things in here. But yeah, back to back cameos. And uh, yeah, the I thought the whole bit was funny. Um, I don't know if he was like supposed to be like more of a red herring, but because they didn't really like put they didn't really show that all too well. But as just like a random fucking character just coming into the movie for 10 minutes for you to laugh at. Um, I like that he, you know, didn't do the thing where directors like give themselves a cameo of either like making out, having sex with a girl or doing some like real cool guy shit. I like that he like gave himself a like real like weird dorky role for it uh, for his cameo. Yeah, me too. And I also just like... I like these guys. They're all hilarious. Yeah. And you, like, you got Sean from Boy Meets World as our main guy. And it's so weird seeing, again, Sean from Boy Meets World telling a story about how these people were forced to watch each other die. And then it cuts to Eli Roth and, his, and like uh, as the bald-headed guy just with this big, goofy smile. Like, like goofy is a word that I could describe cabin in the woods. It's, it's really silly. But then once the infections start, it's like, Oh God. Cause you just, you just cringe. Cause it looks so realistic and like, like I'm itching just thinking about it. Oh yeah. Like it's, yeah. I, I like that. You know, yeah. Describe it. Yeah. It's very silly. And I'd say even after like the infection starts, it still like maintains like that like zaniness like it, that's like like how I said like cranks up to like that Evil Dead like very specific like this is like horror comedy like you're getting comedy out of horror moments in the second half of it um, while the first half is pretty funny which um, that would be a good segue into we kind of skipped it for wrong turn but we can loop it in here is uh, the subgenre grinder that's where we. Um, uh, take the movies that we're talking about and we grind them up so we can uh, enjoy all the complexities of the subgenres at hand here. And uh, these movies, of course, we are in Nature Month talking about these movies that take place out in naturist environments. Um, and we have two Cabin in the Woods movies, which um, obviously both pull a lot of inspiration from Evil Dead. And it's like kind of funny that Cabin in the Woods movies have kind of become like a very specific subgenre in horror movies so um to for cabin and i'll say wrong turn that's pretty much like the whole subgenre is it's mutants in the woods there's not it like has some slasher elements but um cabin fever has a lot more subgenre stuff going on as far as uh going from the comedy to the horror we have uh some body horror with all the the skin mutations uh from this disease um and and i would say it's like in like, in addition to being, like, in that Cabin in the Woods, like, subgenre again, like, Sam Raimi's style of horror comedy is, like, very distinct, that it, he's, like, kind of one of those directors that, like, you're, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a Raimi vibe, you know, so, like, um, I, I'd throw that in there, um, but what are, uh, some subgenre stuff that you thought about when you were revisiting Cabin Fever? Well, again, it's, it's the characters that, you get the stock characters where you get the you get the dorky dude. Typically, 
what you would see is like there's one stoner person, a good girl, horny couple, which there there's two, or like you said, one is potential, one is definitely fucking, and that's what the that's what one of them does immediately when they get there. And um Yep, and then it's like our lead where they it's like half of them are like pretty like on the nose like stereotypical but then it's like i would say um uh paul and um the the blonde chick that he's into like they they are kind of interesting it's like you know paul goes from being um is that even his name i can't I have uh Ryder Strong's character. Yeah, his name's Paul, right? Yeah, or is Paul. he Jeff? Okay, Jeff's the blonde. No, 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 that's Paul. Jeff Jeff is the blonde guy with the weird haircut. Yeah. Um but yeah, so it's like Paul like kind of starts off as like this like kind of he's like the the soft boy because like oh, he has the crush on the girl and then like she's like, you know, a little bit more aware as he like kind of has this naivety towards her and all this stuff. Um, and then he like, you know, as the movie goes on, he becomes a stone cold killer. Just, I mean, killing. I mean, he kills most people before he's like even infected himself. He's already just killing people. Um, yeah, the first, the first time he kills the hermit that got the disease, it was by accident. But then, then after that, later on in the movie, he's just intentionally, um, axing people and it's, he's going nuts. Yeah, and, like, especially, like, whenever he has to kill Karen, the blonde girl that he's into, you know, and it's, like, he puts her, he's and, putting her out before, of her misery. Before this, yeah, and before this, um, he he has sex with the other girl. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's, like, what the hell? But Dude. I guess, like, that's, like, where, like, that, like, extra, like, anger came out, because he was, like, because remember, like, Bert, like, was giving him shit and was, like, ah, oh, it's so funny, like... You know, she, you like her and you do stuff for her, but she does things for you because she just knows she can control you. So, like, that was, like, kind of, like, the, like, shattering moment for Paula. It's like, oh, so Karen's probably not actually into me. She's been just, like, kind of doing her thing. So then, yeah, he fucks Marcy out of nowhere. Um, Lots of sex in this movie, of course. Um, And, and of course, the only nudity comes from Serena Vincent. Yeah, and it's, like, funny because, like, I feel like people, like, I mean, I don't know if, because I know Hostel has, like, some, like, sexual violence, so I don't know how graphic it gets, but it's, like, I felt like, I always felt like people, like, talked about this movie, like, oh, yeah, it has all this, like, un- of course, just, like, Eli Roth is sleazy and a bunch of sex. He doesn't really give you that much nudity uh, in the in the sex scenes. Like, yeah, they're frequent, but it's, like, you don't really see much. And then, um, and then in one of the sex scenes... He gives us some fucking butt play in here with um when fucking Jeff and Marcy are banging. And I was like, wait, what? Like, so Eli Roth is putting some. Progress- oh yeah, she sticks uh her finger. Yeah, up she butt. fucking flips him over, and she's like, came, came out of nowhere. But it's uh, just so it's like he's not making works. sleazy sex scenes. Like he's he's he was throwing in some progressive sex scenes in back in uh two thousand three. So it was like I like I actually like thought he like handled like the sex stuff like pretty tastefully and the violence too isn't like overly um gratuitous either even though I would have been fine if it was but it's like a lot of like you know they show the body horror of the skin disease but they don't really show like a lot of the kills like on screen you know they just like kind of happen like I like the way that they showed um when Paul kills karen you know he's putting her out of her misery they've quarantined her out in the 
out in the shed, very evil dead. Um, so many movie references across this film between evil dead, Texas chainsaw massacre, uh, basically kind of ripped off the, uh, dawn, uh, the, uh, night of the living dead, uh, ending at the end, which I, I mean, but again, the way he uses the, the references were all very creative in my opinion, but, um, but yeah, Paul fucking bashes Karen's face with the shovel, but they don't show it, but they just linger on the shot of the shed and it's turning red and it's just him. And you just hear the shovel and you hear him hit her like a good, like fucking 15 times. So it's like, that was like very effective in doing it that way versus like, you know, just showing him just like beating a bloody pulp into the ground with a shovel. Oh yeah. It's, um, it, it, like you said, the references are very well done. And again, it, it's the things that come out of nowhere are nothing like you expect, but you just really enjoy them. Yeah. And, like, like the know, deer, you know, the like violence the... isn't ridiculous. Like in green inferno where it's just, it gets so violent that it's almost sickening here. It's um, when, when it does happen, there's a very good reason for it. And I actually feel like if you, if you wanted to make a cabin fever remake, now would be the perfect time, especially with, you know, disease being rampant with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You you could do a ton of stuff with that. Yeah. Like if they were going to like, you know, remake it, not with the same script like they did. No, definitely not the same script. Oh yeah. You could like totally twist it to like a 2020 like apartment fucking or like small house. Like what if like, you know, a house of artists, five artists that all live in a three bedroom house in fucking um in the valley over here and then like yeah and then do like a cabin fever in that style or just like you know you can be its own movie and then be like cabin fever inspired as well um would definitely uh play up which makes the which did make this like a pretty a pretty funny uh watch because like there's um um Jeff walking everywhere just covering his face with a mat like a little napkin like kind of looking like a mask um and then like the the reaction like Bert has whenever he's like no we're not letting him come in and he's gonna touch everything like your soap and your and your bags and all your shit <laughs> and like yeah so it is pretty funny um the you know watching it with pandemic brain yeah but uh it was still still a great fun watch it's definitely more memorable than wrong turn I would say because the, the shit that they do is you don't forget scenes like when Marcy's shaving her legs and then her skin starts peeling off. That's so good. that shit just it, great. Like it's like beautiful gore. Like I like how they don't like had to draw. They didn't have to like draw a bunch of attention to it. Like you see it from like the first time she like does it you see it but then just like the fact that the way that they like kind of keep going with it and she like doesn't even realize it that she's doing it which also super funny do I mean I mean I I have a lot of female friends and I guess I could ask my sisters as well when women get sad do they just go and take baths and then cry in the bath and then go oh this is also a good time to shave my legs uh, uh you know just questioning yeah, I, I have no idea i thought they would just like <laughs> ice cream and cry over something no I'm no from, yeah shaving my legs always if makes i get me canceled for that i'm sorry <laughs> it's just that's the stereotypical yeah. thing that i've been taught 
I mean, I but I, I wouldn't know. I'm a, I'm a guy, so I don't know. I guess the I guess oh, the I next know. time I'm feeling sad, I should just go shave and see if it makes me feel better. I don't know. You know, I don't know how it works. But yeah, uh, a super great scene. Uh, it's real, uh, real gross. The effects look great. The effects on Karen after she's been infected are really great. Um, the initial scene of uh, Paul figuring out that she's infected, you know, it's like, uh, you know, somewhat sweet scene. Like, you know, she finally actually is like showing some emotion, like, you know, but she's also sick. So it's kind of not sweet. It's kind of like gross that he was like still down to like make some moves. But like, anyways, it's kind of a like nicely sensually done scene, like the like way he like shows his hand, like the way he's like touching her, but then like ruins it because like when he reaches down and it's funny because like you hear the like you know the blood like squishy oh, sound squishing and all that and then it's like you know yeah, obviously it's... you hear those sounds sometimes when you're getting sexy so you don't think anything of it so i like that that's why like sean goes he he's feeling up her like wounded leg and he's like man i am soaking her right now she is so wet <laughs> instead of like and then the reveal that you know it's all bloody and shit Super gross. He banged two infected I love people. How, I love how immediately everybody barges in the room after not right. after like some time. It, it's immediate. <laughs> nope. Oh well, those friends don't have sexual privacy because remember when Marcy and oh, Jeff yeah. were banging and then Bert's just in the in the window. I was like, friends don't do that, even if you're like trying to be funny. Like that's just weird. Yeah, that that's just. Uh, it's like the room where. Uh, uh, maybe I could join. And it's like, <laughs> get out of here, Denny. His face you even... fucking weird kid. No. Yo, Privacy is a thing that Bird actually should be respected. Come on. Bird actually looks like Denny, now that I think about it. Bird has a weird <laughs> face, and I was kind of thinking about and his face. And also, there's, there's the kid named De Dennis, who is the best character, by the way, because he's, he's biting people's hands and getting ex- real excited about pancakes. I mean... That was so hilarious because it is, like, kind of a weird, like, genuine, like, like parenting moment of, be- like, you know, people being like, hey, why aren't you watching your kid? And then it's just like, like, and, but then the parent, even though his kid bites them, still gets upset at them. Like, still is like, well, no, it's your fault you're getting bit by him. Like, what do you mean? He, he, yeah, he's like, every everybody knows that you don't do that to Denny. And yeah, comes, every yeah, and then Bert just goes, like, "No, what? they don't. <laughs> They're out of towners, you, you ninny." Oh, like literally, Bert and Jeff's face when he said that. Like, what do you mean? Everybody knows that. Like, we don't know shit. And but yeah, the the pancake scene, I just it, it's so funny. Like, cause I always find it funny. Like little kids when they like do shit like that, they like act like they're doing a bunch of kung fu at you. You know, like, I always find that really funny. And then, so, like, Eli Roth has it in slow motion, and he's just yelling pancakes. And I was like, this is uh, kind of brilliant. <laughs> um, I love this. Um, I like, like, I like that Eli Roth, he makes choices. We talk a lot about choices on the podcast. Just, like, things that's just, like, that was a deliberate choice that he made. That he goes, this is going in this movie, damn it. And I love it. All the the random, like, kind of artsy shots. Because, again, it's like... Because I think it also showed, like, at the time... And and you see it, like, in a... Like, Eli Roth has, like, an interview show on uh, Shudder. But, like, Eli Roth, like, loves horror movies. 
Like he is like a, he's a real broy guy. Like when you hear him talk, it's like kind of hard to listen to him talk because he's like a little too broy sometimes. But he also loves horror movies and like it shows so much in this movie with like you know the influences, but just like some of the wild swings he's taking because he was like you can tell he genuinely was just trying to make a really fun gross horror movie and like I I feel like his passion like really does come so like like him or not like you can't say that the dude doesn't like have passion for what he's doing you know I would argue that he might have a little bit too much passion for some people because it comes off as very aggressive and you're right he's a total chad but he does love horror movies if you have seen any interview with him he will he will pull out a ton of influences and he tries to put them in his movies but in his own way you know, only as someone as crazy as the bear Jew would come up with the shit that he comes up with. Yeah. And again, I feel like it that might have come from like, you know, he was probably a Tarantino fan as a film student and then obviously got to work with Tarantino. Um, I mean, that was after this movie was made, but um, you can tell he probably like, you know, picked up on like how Tarantino like sort of does that with his influences. Like it's OK to like wear your influence on your sleeve as long as you're like doing something interesting with it, like not just like ripping it off. So it's like a lot of like the homage scene, like there was like like one where it was just a, a close up of Marcy's butt to do the Texas Chainsaw like shot it was just like there just to be like, Hey, look at her butt real quick. You know, like that wasn't like very inspired, but then, um, I like like how one of the building blocks around the movie is like the first half is like, it's like the, the first half of this movie is I know what you did last summer with them, like getting all paranoid on how they're trying to cover up what they did to Henry. And then the second half turns into evil dead. That's what this movie is weird yeah but it does it really well and i just i don't know there's there's no other movie like it it doesn't really do the cabin in the woods um theme or subgenre like any other movie just because of how outlandish it gets especially with its dialogue but also again some really awesome kills i love when paul kills karen as terrible as that is it's it's done very tastefully <laughs> yeah and yeah it's yeah, a, I'm, it's I'm a... really a broken record there's not much else i can say it's it's harder to describe it you it's just something you have to watch and see for yourself but yeah like uh yeah this is totally a movie you just have to experience for yourself like there's so many so many weird scenes that like I want to talk about, but it's just like one hard to describe them, and like we'd be here all day. Um, but I do want to finish off the talk with uh, just a few other hilarious lines uh, from this movie. Um, I already shouted out that's a positive bonfire. I feel like that should be said more um, in every in every day. Um, there's the exchange about uh, Bert wanting to hunt squirrels, and he goes. He's like, oh, I'm going to go hunt squirrels. And then um, Jeff goes, dude, why would you want to kill a squirrel? Like, very sincerely. And then Bert's like, because they're gay. And then Karen goes, well, don't be retarded, which I hate that word. I'm just saying the quote. But um, so it's like her saying that, like, automatically led, like negates her from judging him for calling the squirrels gay. To which then he just retorts back like, hey, like he's like, he's like, hey, calm down. Like, I don't care if they're gay or straight. I'm going to kill them anyway. 
uh, a very really random exchange. Um, we didn't even talk about. We didn't even mention Deputy Winston. What the fuck is this character? Like Deputy Winston is one of the weirdest fucking characters I've ever seen in a movie. Like I've never seen a cop character played like this before, and it's hilarious. Like this c- cop that just loves to party. And, like, keeps calling Paul the party man. Like, oh, my God. Detective Winston is hilarious. Uh, did you have any other funny quotes you wanted to shout out? Um, I like at the beginning when they ask, uh, so what's the fox urine for? Oh, that's for foxes. And then what's the <laughs> rifle for? Oh, that's for the N-word people. And then they're all just like, what? <laughs> Like, and again, like, so I did want to touch back on that scene yet, because, like, I think, like, again, like, people like to, you know, like, uh, that was one thing that uh, some companies didn't want to finance the movie just because he had that line in at the very beginning. But it's like, again, like, I didn't, I don't find it, like, mean or, like, trying to be blatantly racist. It's just, like, they've been talking to this sweet old man this whole time and then just, like, so quickly switches you know and then so it's like just that like whiplash like kind of catches you off guard and it made me laugh like I was like that's fucking hilarious like what a weird of course this like sweet old man they like it's still being like sweet afterwards like oh yeah come back and see me again blah blah blah. and then it comes like full circle but then I guess he he actually does like black people he just was saying the n-word wrong because then he's apparently friends with some black people that like came for guns and then they jammed on the porch and that's how the movie ends (laughs) oh yeah and i also love uh hey dipshit what the fuck what are you fucking smoky the clown now don't you mean smoky the bear (laughs) just shows how like bird is complete idiot like he's laughing at the horror story and then um i think karen is just like it's not funny yet and he goes yeah it is you fucking slut that one's really funny um who talks nobody talks like this Oh, like, I mean, just some of the lines just like, yeah, the way they come out is just like super funny and super random. Um, uh, Deputy Winston, when he's talking to Paul and then Karen comes outside and she's like, is everything OK? And he goes, everything's all right, ma'am. You just go inside, have yourself a big 40 and uh, just party. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Like the way he said it too is like so funny. Uh, Shout out to Deputy Winston. And then uh, the last thing to close it out. um, uh, One thing that just like I just wasn't expecting it that completely caught me out guard. Shout out to Nathan Barr, the composer for this film. Yo, this score goes so fucking hard. It did not have any reason to go this hard for this movie for a schlocky horror movie in the early 2000s but yo homeboy goes hard because he like it progressively gets better and like gets like more chaotic as the film goes and i loved it so much yeah i I immediately noticed that from even the the title sequence which i love the title sequence where it just gradually gets redder and redder until it's completely bloodshot red and it has this music and the violins are playing and it's like oh god it feels very much like you know something's gonna happen and again nathan barr you're right he didn't have to go that hard but he did and we appreciate him for doing that 
he he did that for us. Um, the the scene there is two uh, scenes specifically. The first one where like all the like mayhem is going on with Henry, like whenever they're like shooting at him, and then they beat him with a bat, and then they light him on fire. <laughs> And the score, like, came, and, like, that was the first time I noticed it, like, because at, at the beginning, I mean, it was, like, cool, but, like, then when that scene hit, like, the, like, first, like, real horror scene of the movie, I guess, was when it, like, really kicked in, and I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here, and then there's another scene, um, when the, uh, three townies go to the cabin to, like, go confront him, because they're mad that they infected Dennis, because Dennis bit Bert. Uh, just that townie logic cracks me up but then uh, that scene where like and again Paul is just killing lots of people um, having a good time doing it but the freaking score was so good during that scene like the way he uses violins but then he also uses like sitars in there and then like the drumming is fantastic under the score like everything about it was like really really good so yeah um, thank you for your services, uh, Mr. Nathan Barr. He did that for us. So, to close out the episode, um, as we are kicking off this month of surviving nature, um, you know, we are going to explore movies that take place on all sorts of terrains. We're going to be in the woods, we're going to be in the ocean, um, we're going to be um, hanging with some werewolves, you know. All these different environments. So I want to ask you, Billy, um, maybe not even particularly just in horror movies, but in general, like what nature environment scares you the most? Um, what nature environment? Just anything where you're isolated. So yes, the woods primarily, but um, I'm actually I'm a little I'm, this is going to come back full circle because of Jaws. I'm, I was scared of the ocean for a long time. Mm-hmm. I hate being in the middle of the ocean. It's yeah. It's so freaky seeing miles and miles of water. I mean, it's cool, but at the same time, you feel like something is just lurking and is going to get you. Or it's like the shallows. Oh, yeah. Where you're on an island. Even where it's safe, <laughs> it's not, you know, safe. Like, uh, it, it made me hate sharks for a long time, which I know is very unfair. And I know that. A lot of sharks have been killed because of Jaws. Um, thanks a lot, Stephen. Um, yeah, that is kind of fucked up. Uh, yeah, if I had to pick, then it would be the ocean or just um, being by myself. Okay. There's nothing worse than being by yourself in an unfamiliar place. True. So you, so you'd be better. So if you were lost in the woods, you'd be, you'd feel better though if you had somebody. Like if you were alone. Yeah. Like if I had a group of friends or something, even if one of them is competent, you feel much safer because you have people to rely on, and you can get different perspectives on how to handle certain situations. True. True. Yeah. That's also. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's there's like certain scenarios like I. Like, if I was by myself, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Like, yeah, obviously, if you had people, it would help. But, so, I mean, the isolation, I guess, doesn't get to me. But I am 100% with you. The ocean is the scariest fucking shit ever. I mean, in because, like, yeah, like, think about it. Like, it's like 70% of our, of the planet's covered in the ocean. We've only explored, like, I think it's like, like 15% or some shit. 
because one, we don't have the technology to go deep enough without the pressure crushing us. So think about the fucking creatures that do survive down there. Like the ocean is the uh, the environment that is most likely to have real monsters in it. I I will I I say that not even as a joke. Like I'm I don't I, I live out in LA now. I'm I mean I go to the beach. I don't swim out deep. Um, we, for Brit's birthday, we went out on a boat and then like people were diving into the ocean and like, it was only because I was like, you know, pretty buzzed and high that I like, wasn't thinking about the monsters and I actually dove in, but then like I started swimming then the boat was getting away from me. And then that's when I was like, oh shit, oh shit. And I was just like looking around for tentacles. Like, mm, the ocean is some scary shit. There's Cthulhu monsters down there. We all know it. But I do love krakens, and 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 I'd say if I have a spirit animal, it'd be an octopus. Um, I, I'm on their vibe. <laughs> I'm on their vibe, but you know, but like I also respect. I respect the ocean more than I fear it. But I do, I do fear it though. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a freaky place, but it's also really cool. There's nothing else like it. Exactly. It's like it's one of those. Yeah, it's like mesmerizing, but it's also like terrifying at the same time. Like. Yeah, we don't we don't know what's in those waters, and um, we'll definitely have more uh, fear of the ocean talk here in a couple weeks. Um, but thank you so much, Billy, for coming on to the podcast. Glad we could make this happen. Um, you've been such a great supporter of the show and like all the things I've done over the years. So I appreciated uh, having you on, getting to chat some movies with you. Yeah, thanks, man. I know I'm not the biggest horror guy in the world, but I appreciate you um, letting me be on this program and yeah if, if you ever want me back for whatever reason i'm more than happy to oblige and you are more than welcome to go on my podcast which is the see you next summer podcast and yeah no this was a lot of fun i i had a really good time heck yeah man um no it, it's also great to have someone on here that isn't a horror expert to offer some fresh perspectives, you know, but we, we're all in this area. We all enjoy the genre just the same. Um, yeah. So definitely make sure you guys, uh, go check out his podcast and where, uh, what's your, uh, social media handle so people can go and stalk you. <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter at B Buster Bill. All the B's are capitalized. I'm almost to a thousand followers. It's, it's my white whale. Woo, woo. I can never, I can never, um, keep, a thousand followers or get to a thousand followers it is my moby dick <laughs> but right. um you can also follow me on instagram at bill batson's lightning which has no capital letters and you can also follow my podcast twitter which is at syns pod i do it with uh, my buddy raul he's really awesome and we just talk about movies in general and yeah that's basically it yeah make sure you guys go follow him let's get him to a thousand people and uh make sure you guys go check out his podcast raul is also a wonderful person and i will definitely have you back on the show at some point maybe i'll have you back on for the pumpkin head one um since you're a fan of that so we'll get you back in there um but yeah uh glad to have billy on we have some great guests uh coming on throughout the month to keep talking uh surviving nature I don't even know what episode is coming up next week because schedule's a little out of whack right now. So who knows what you guys are going to get. 
But that will do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Make sure you guys are going on Apple Podcasts, leaving a five-star iTunes review. We very much appreciate that. Make sure you're following the Instagram and Twitter page at BloodyBluntCC and also my personal page at underscore Daddy Disco. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>